Helping us discern between the flesh and the spirit, here is Pastor Ed Taylor. Some situation comes up on the news and it's heartbreaking and heart-wrenching and it just tears you apart if you're in the spirit. But if you're in the flesh, you don't care. If you're in the flesh, you're sarcastic about it. Oh, they deserved it. Really? The sufferings of man, they deserved it? Is that why God's brought you into the world to tell everybody what they deserve? Oh no, that was probably your flesh, because that's not God. God chooses to have compassion and mercy on whoever He chooses. And in Jesus Christ, He's given mercy and compassion and grace to who? The whole world. This is amazing grace. It's God's mercy and grace that gives me hope for the whole world, Billy Graham once said. He was onto something, and he surely reflected God's heart. But truth be told, it is a struggle to hold this view when things go wrong. Well, today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor will certainly help. We'll get that help from Romans chapter 9, which raises the issue of the fairness of God reflected in the choices God makes. Here to sort this out, beginning with a word of caution, is Pastor Ed Taylor. A lot of times people get hurt in the church because everybody thinks they have to fix everybody. You don't need to fix anybody. I don't need to fix you. You're a child of God. So when you come to me, when you come to one of the leaders of the church, you come to one of the pastors in the church, you come to one of the lay leaders, when you come to us, what we really need to do is point you to Jesus Christ. He's your sufficiency. He's going to give you great wisdom. He's going to give you great understanding. Oh, he's going to use his word for sure. But you know, I don't know what's going on in your life. You may come to me and you got the biggest, biggest burden you can possibly think. You come into the office and there we are, we're, we're wrestling with it. And you may just leave with me answering, I have no idea what's going on in your life. Let's pray. Let's just pray for clarity and understand. I don't know. But wait a minute, man, you're supposed to know. No, I'm not supposed to know. God will show me. He'll reveal to me. But I'm not supposed to know. But I'll tell you what, God knows exactly what's going on in your life. And if you and I seek him together, he'll reveal for you and to you and through you the answer that you've been looking for. I'll give you another example, more practical in, in this room, the sound area. You know, the sound area, we could have all the buttons and lights flashing and turning and plugged in and everything just the way it's supposed to be, and we'll still have problems. We'll look and troubleshoot and, and we'll come over and, you know, somebody even asked me, Ed, do you, have you ever laid hands on that soundboard? Yes, we have. Yes, in all our ways we acknowledge Him. We have the precious servants serving there, or even on their worship team, and we get all these glitches, but everything seems to be right. Why? Not so we can figure it out, but so that we can trust in the Lord. You know, we may go through a time where, oh, it doesn't sound right, it's this, it's this. Great! It's time for you to trust in the Lord. It's just electronics, you know, all kinds of weird, goofy things happen. You just lay hands on that thing, and boom, we've tried everything, mechanics the same way. Say so you just, well, I know this is the way it is, and I know this is the way it is, I know. and you work, and you work, and you work, and you work, and you can't find out what's wrong until finally you say, Lord, Lord, what's going on? And he says, hey, I've been waiting for you to cry out to me about three days now. It's this. And you go and look at it, and you go, oh, I didn't think of that. See, because you face situations, you go, I know this already. 
I've been here before. No, you and I haven't been here before. Oh, yes, I did, Ed. This situation's in my life. It was here three years ago. No, no, the situation in your life right now wasn't here three years ago. You know why? Because this situation today is unique. It's today. It's not three years ago. Three years ago, God totally took care of that. But now you're living today. And because it's today, you and I, we need a fresh word from heaven on how to handle today. Not to lean on our own understanding. Not to say, hey, you know, I think I got a fleshly idea. No, we don't want little Ishmaels running around. Even when, especially when, things look and feel and seem and appear unfair. God, you're not fair. You don't know. Yes, he is. We don't want to lean on our own strengths and our own schemes. Back now, as we move forward, Romans chapter 9. Look at verse 10 now. So Isaac and Ishmael, they're used as an example now. Let's move on. By far some of the verses that trip more people up than I know in verse 10 now. And not only this, but when Rebekah also conceived by one man, even our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. Hey, we've already looked at this in depth. The predestination of God is because of his foreknowledge. He is able to make choices because that's his divine prerogative. It's his divine prerogative to make choices. And he does according to his foreknowledge. You can jot it down, First Peter chapter 1. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. He knows all things. He says in verse 12, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger as it is written. And here's the verse, and we'll get to it in a second. Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now remember, Rebecca, the story with Rebecca, she had a very difficult pregnancy. And as she's crying out to the Lord with this difficult pregnancy, God answers and says, listen, hey, here's the problem. You've got two nations in your womb. What? Two nations? Imagine that, a war of the womb. Not a war of the world, but a war of the womb. And in that answer... In that answer, God says, you know what? Even before they're ever born, the younger will rule over the older. The older shall serve the younger. Before they're ever born, before they've ever done anything, God decided which child would be selected as the father of the faithful. And it wasn't Esau. It wasn't Esau. It was Jacob. God's choice of Jacob wasn't based on anything God had done. He wasn't even born yet. He wasn't even born. Remember, God's elections according to foreknowledge. And it's his sovereign privilege to choose. But then verse 13, right, kind of trips us up. Verse 13, hey, Jacob I've loved, Esau I have hated. Hey, that's not, that doesn't sound very nice. Hated? God hates someone? God hates Esau? Doesn't sound like the guy had a chance. But see, the word here, hated, doesn't, well, it doesn't mean what we use it commonly today. Uh, this carnal, critical, burning hatred. Let me show you the same word out of the mouth of Jesus. Flip over to Luke chapter 14, would you? Luke chapter 14. And reminder, just as we go through in Romans 9, 10, and 11, it's going to require a lot of biblical thought on your part. You may find yourself in this section grabbing the CD or downloading the MP3 to listen to it again because it's going to require some thought, some review. These, although they are difficult passages, through study of them, they aren't that difficult after all. And you want to put these pieces together. You want to put your biblical thinking caps on as we break down these verses. And you'll see Jesus uses the same word in Luke chapter 14, verse 25. The word translated hated doesn't mean to despise or dislike with all of your heart like we use it today. As a matter of fact, notice verse 25 now, Luke 14. A great multitude went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Well, thanks, Jesus. You've just given me the ministry of hatred. Appreciate it. Yes. 
I never liked them anyway. So thanks for validating the fact that I hate my family. Yeah, great. That's not what he's saying at all. As a matter of fact, this phrase, Jesus uses it, Paul uses it, is an idiom. It's a phrase that the people of the day would totally understand. Let me give you an example. We had lunch with some folks that had just come back from Israel yesterday. And as they were talking, there were a lot of phrases that are used in Russia, excuse me, I said Israel, from Russia, uh, that aren't used today. And so they're talking about them. The Russians totally understand what they mean, but, but we wouldn't know. So if someone said, you know, you're like a horse with pedals, you'd say, thanks, appreciate it. <laughs> I don't know what you mean, but thanks. But if you knew what they meant, you wouldn't say thanks because they're actually calling you a dummy. That's what they, if you're a horse with pedals, so if anybody ever calls you a horse with pedals, it's not a good thing. And so that phrase we don't use today. And when they said it, they needed to explain it to us. What, is, what are you talking Well, it means you're, they actually didn't say dumb. They said they're actually calling you stupid. That's what that means. I don't want to be any kind of horse. Thank you very much. Let alone one with pedals. And so when Jesus says you need to hate, when Paul says you need to hate, it's not the kind of critical burning. There's another Greek word for that. This phrase literally means to love less. It speaks of priority. Back in Romans now, it speaks of priority. He's not saying hate your whole family for me. He says, listen, if you're going to love me, you need to love your mother less and your father less and your kids less and your life less. He says, don't love your life. Jesus would say in another place, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll love the one or hate the other. When Paul quotes God and he says, oh, Jacob, I've loved and Esau, I've hated, it's a priority. He says, Esau, I have loved less in relationship to Jacob. In verse 13, he's actually quoting from Malachi. In the context, if you look at Malachi, is not personal, but national. God is choosing nations here. And it's interesting when we come up to difficult passages, because this is a difficult. But see, the problem with difficult passages is our tendency to want to figure God out. And we're going to put them in a little box here, and we're going to figure everything out about God that we need to figure out. We're going to answer every difficulty, and we're not going to have anything that we don't understand, but that's not God. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah 55, God is God say, he says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heavens are from the earth, so more and so much higher are my thoughts and my ways than yours. See, I don't actually have a tremendous difficulty with that part of verse 13. If you come back to Romans 9 now in verse 13, I'll tell you the problem that I have. I have the problem with it saying that, well, that God loved Jacob. That's heavy. You know Jacob's life. He was a conniver, a manipulator, a schemer. He was always taking advantage of people. His faith was not strong. I think he had this love for God, but he was all messed up. And yet God still says, I love Jacob. I mean, that what blows my mind. That when he looks at us and he says, I love you. And I know you. I know all about you. I know about where you've come from. I know where you're going. I know what you wrestle with when you put your head down at the pillow at night. And God still says to us, I love you. I mean, his grace is unbelievable. His grace is so wonderful. His grace is so abundantly good to us. Oh, I know you might get hooked up on, oh, he hated Esau. But hey, listen, he loved Jacob. And he loves you. How can a holy, righteous God love Jacob? He was a scoundrel. Just the, not the kind of guy you'd want to see and to face up with, because he would probably take advantage of you. But God loved him anyway, because you know what happens? God, his love, melts and changes you. It changes your whole perspective of what he wants to do in your life. He doesn't hold your past against you. As Christians, you are washed and you're clean in the, by the blood of the Lamb. He's encouraging you, convicting you, convincing you of his great love. Well, 
He doesn't end there. Let's go back now and finish this section, beginning in verse 14. He now begins to speak about Pharaoh, and he says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. Do you know that phrase is the strongest phrase possible in the Greek language to say, No way, Jose. Period. No way. Absolutely not. Are you crazy for even thinking that? That's what it would mean in today's language. Certainly not. No way. He says, there's not unrighteousness with God, for he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whomever I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whomever I'll have compassion. Doesn't that sound like your life created in the image of God? Isn't that the same exact freedom that you and I have? We will have mercy on whom we'll have mercy, and we'll have compassion on who we have. If we don't want to have mercy, we won't have mercy. You know, if something happens in your life and you happen to be in the flesh that day, I mean, not that week or that month, just that day, you know, you're just in the flesh, you're not doing well, and a difficulty comes your way, will you choose to have mercy? Most likely, no. Most likely in the flesh, you'll seek to your own gain. You'll demand from others mercy. You'll demand from others compassion. Some situation comes up on the news, and it's heartbreaking and heart-wrenching, and it just tears you apart if you're in the spirit. But if you're in the flesh, you don't care. If you're in the flesh, you're sarcastic about it. Oh, they deserved it. Really? The sufferings of man, they deserved it? Is that where they really deserve? Is that why God's brought you into the world to tell everybody what they deserve? Oh, no, that's probably your flesh, because that's not God. God chooses to have compassion and mercy on whoever he chooses. And in Jesus Christ, he's given mercy and compassion and grace to who? The whole world. Oh, when you and I are in the flesh, we choose not mercy. We choose not compassion. No, we become very self-righteous. We become very judgmental. We become very high-minded. We put ourselves on a throne above everyone else. But the reality is, the reality is, is a lot of things that we see and hear and things that are happening in this world, well, we're not immune to the pains, are we? We're not immune to the difficulties. And when we're in the Spirit, our heart is merciful and compassionate because we're made in the image of God. He says in verse 16, So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but God who shows mercy. Again, focusing on his sovereignty. And then he says in verse 17, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, even for the same purpose, I've raised you up and I might show my power in you that my name might be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills, he hardens. Verse 17 is one of those verses, again, that trips people up. I just want you to notice before we get into it that it doesn't say that God created Pharaoh this way. It doesn't say that at all. What does it say? That God raised him up. It doesn't say that he was predestined, double predestined to do this his whole life. No, it doesn't say that at all. It just says that God raised him up in a, in a time and a season to use him. You go, oh, well. As there's apprehension in the air still from the audience, it just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair of God with Abraham. It doesn't seem fair of God with Rebekah. It doesn't seem fair of God with Pharaoh. But Paul begins to walk us through and say, oh, no, God is exactly fair, 100% as God raised up Pharaoh so that his power could be demonstrated, this hard-hearted, godless man God used for his purposes. And the Bible does say that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. That God did that. That God, in using and raising up Pharaoh, hardened his heart to use him as a tool. But I want to show you something. Flip over to Exodus chapter 7. Let's start there. Exodus chapter 7. See, Pharaoh was given the chance to soften and Pharaoh was given the chance to repent, and Pharaoh was given the chance to turn, but he only became harder and harder. And you remember the story, it was a time of the plagues, a time of, hey, let my people go, Moses says, and Pharaoh says, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that. 
And he had all these opportunities to soften, all these opportunities, even as God, he gives us all these opportunities to soften, he gives us all these opportunities to change, he gives us all these opportunities to be more compassionate, to be more merciful, to yield to his spirit. And if we're not careful, our hearts will harden. And so, you know, God does harden Pharaoh's heart, but in Exodus chapter 7, look at verse 13. Let's just walk through some highlights here. We studied Exodus in depth. You can get the studies in all these chapters. But in Exodus chapter 7, verse 13, it says, Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord said. Okay, look at verse 22. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them. Okay, look at chapter 8, verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. Okay, how about chapter 8, verse 19? It says, Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God, but Pharaoh's heart did what? Grew hard, and he did not heed them. That's four times so far. Look at chapter 8, verse 32. But Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Look at chapter 9, verse 7. And then Pharaoh sent, and indeed not even one of his livestock of the Israelites was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh became hard for the sixth time, and he did not let the people go. It says in chapter 9, verse 34, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart. But then God, as he's turning a corner, he says in verse 1 of chapter 10, the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. Seven times Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then God finally said, great. You want a hard heart? You can have a hard heart. Parents, you totally understand this. Your kids will beg and beg and beg for something you know is not good for them. Oh, mommy, mommy, let me touch the hot stove. No. Oh, come on, mom, I want to know what it feels like. No. Oh, please, mom, no. Oh, come on, mom. Oh, I'll go touch the hot No, I don't mean it, don't touch the hot stove, but don't, please, you're pleading with them. And so they go on for a couple days. They don't even mention it anymore. And then one morning, as you're out in the cabinet, you hear a scream, ah! And what happened? What did they do? They touched the hot stove. You told them not to. You told them not to. You told them not to. But every time you said not to, they got more firm in their conviction. I'm touching that stove. I'm touching it. I'm touching it. And you said no. And they got harder and harder and harder till finally they touched the stove and they realized, you know what? Mom, you were right after all. Don't touchy the stovey. Don't do that anymore. That hurts. You know what's best for your kids. And you tell them, and you tell them, and you tell them, and you know God was being fair in establishing Pharaoh in his already hard heart. He wasn't being unfair. By the time God starts to establish Pharaoh's heart, he had many, many times to repent and to change. And many times after, God was only confirming in the heart of Pharaoh what Pharaoh already had done to himself. You think a moment about the effects of the sun. What a blessing God has given us in the sun with its heat and it's radiant heat, and it beats down on the earth in heat. And if you were to throw a candle out on a sidewalk, what you would do is you watch that candle in the heat is that candle would what? It would melt. It'd become a wick in the bottom of the wick right there on the sidewalk. But if you were to take a can of Play-Doh from your kid's closet, you go down to the art store and get some clay, and you threw that same clay, that same Play-Doh right on the sidewalk next to the wax, what would happen to the clay? Would it melt? No, no, no. No, it would what? Harden and dry up. You know, our hearts are a lot like that. 
What you and I present to God, well, that's what will happen. We present our hearts like this hardened clay, then what will happen when the sun and the faithfulness of God beats down on our clay hearts? Well, our hearts will become harder and harder. But if we present ourselves to God as wax, as a soft heart, open to the things of the Lord, then that same faithfulness of God will melt us and we'll become more humble and more reliant upon Him. It's really what you offer to God. Oh God, you're so unfair. It's so not right. With what kind of heart are you saying that? Is it a genuine cry from your heart to be melted by God? Or are, have you become already hardened and bitter and now as you offer up to God the very cries of your heart which are real and received from God, is your heart soft so he might melt you and say, it's okay, son. It's okay, daughter. I'm here for you. I'm faithful in your life. If our hearts were described as either wax or clay, which would yours be? What kind of heart do you have toward the things of God? Yes, he has mercy on who he wills and whom he wills he hardens, but what are you offering them today? A hard heart or a soft heart? See, we just can't say, well, God, you're not fair. You harden and you soften because it's not true. He is fair. And what you present to him is what you will receive. That's the effect that God has. You can choose whether to be that soft heart or that hard heart. You can choose to yield yourself in humility or rise up in arrogance and pride. It's your choice, church. If you receive God's word and it is implanted in your heart, you will become more flexible. You will become more pliable. You will become, as we see in later chapters here in Romans, you'll be like that clay pot on the potter's wheel in the potter's hands. But he's able to mold and fashion into exactly what he desires. This is Abounding Grace, and you're listening to a message from pastor and Bible teacher Ed Taylor. Simply go online to hear it again at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Pastor Ed, I'm thinking about those whose heart is hard right now. Will God give them another chance? Or is their desire for another chance an indication that their heart is not as hard as they think? but they just need to receive his love and acceptance. It's a tricky thing, isn't it, Larry? Uh, dealing and ministering with people and not being able to know their heart, uh, know their motives, know their true condition inside. I, I mean, we, we get hints of it, of course. Uh, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we know we do get some indications of a heart condition, but we don't really know. And what I found to be true over the years is those people that seem to indicate a tremendously hard heart aren't as hard as you might think. And those that give the most resistance are often the closest surrendering to surrendering their life to Jesus. I, I definitely fit that category uh, where inside I was t- troubled 29 years ago walking into a Calvary Chapel in Downey, California. I was a troubled young man. But by the time that trouble made it out of my mouth and made it into my facial gestures and such, I looked like an angry, bitter, controlling, manipulative man that you just wanted to stay away from. But very little people, very few people knew the pain and difficulty I was going through personally and and the the conflict. And, And so a person with a hard heart isn't unreachable. A person with a hard heart hasn't gone too far. And you say, wait, Pastor Ed, Pastor, what about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Look, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is in the realm of God. Uh, It's His, that's the realm of His issues. We don't need to deal with them. What we need to deal with is the person in front of us. And I would agree with you. I like how you said, maybe their heart is not as hard as they think. Perhaps they're just hurt. 
and just reeling from pain after pain, or perhaps they're just dealing with consequences of their own bad decisions. Maybe they're just dealing with abuse and, and being mistreated and devalued and, and, and hard heart is actually just wrapped in pain and sorrow and suffering and grief and, and hopelessness. And those are all things that the gospel speaks to directly. And certainly time after time, we read of in the Bible, and we know people in our lives where God softens the hardened heart. And that's our prayer for those that are far from him today. Thanks for sharing that, Pastor Ed. I'm sure someone needed to hear that. Here in the month of April, we picked out an excellent book written by Chuck Smith called Faith. As the title would suggest, this book is all about faith and the key to a successful Christian life. Pastor Chuck explains how faith takes you by the hand and walks you from one level of maturity to another. Using examples from the Bible and illustrations he's gleaned from the ministry, Pastor Chuck lays out a strong case for faith. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Just call us at 877-30-GRACE and ask for faith. Don't miss our next study in Romans here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 